All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for our Savior, Jesus Christ. And Lord, as we look to the word this morning, we ask for the leadership of your Holy Spirit. We know that without Jesus, Lord, we can do nothing. So we are totally, completely dependent upon you this morning to teach us whatever it is we're ready to receive. And Lord, I pray that you would bless us, bless this time. And Lord, may it be precious to each one of us. And for those who have made the effort to come, Lord, bless them indeed. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we're ready to start the section on kindness. And this section is about the kindness that this woman has received from her Redeemer. Proverbs 31:26. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Now, there are two types of kindnesses in the book of Ruth. One is in Ruth 2.20, if you care to turn there. Ruth chapter 2 and verse 20. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And then in Ruth chapter 3, verse 10, now, uh, Boaz is speaking, and he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast shown, showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. So we got two things going on. We've got Naomi, who said, blessed be the Lord, because he has shown, he has not left off kindness to the living or the dead. And then you look at Ruth chapter 3, verse 10, and you see the kindness of Ruth. And the kindness of Ruth is totally dependent on what she has received from her Redeemer. In Galatians 5, 22 and 23, there is a quality of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and then gentleness. Now, gentleness, if you check it out in your Strong's, run it through your New Testament, you will find that same Greek word translated gentleness in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 is also translated as kindness and loving kindness. So if gentleness or kindness is visible in a person's life as a believer in Christ, it's because the Spirit of God is at work, and he is manifesting that character of God through us. So, if Ruth is manifesting kindness, 
It is a it is part of the character of God. Now Boaz instructs Ruth in regards to going to other fields, right? And if you read Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, it says, Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not, my my daughter? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go into the vessels and drink of that which the young men hath drawn. There is a warning from Boaz to Ruth to stay in his field, to stay close to his maidens and keep her eyes on his field, the field that belongs to him. And there's a reason for that. Because it's all going to be wrapped up in one word called kindness. Now what does Boaz say about these young men in Ruth 2.9 and Ruth uh, 2.15? He says, Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? Okay, go back one. He says, don't touch her. Don't reproach her, right? In Ruth chapter 2, verse 9, and Ruth chapter 2, verse 15, he says, don't touch her and don't reproach her. That is the message to the young men from the Redeemer. And she, he has told Ruth, Stay in my field. Now that word touch and reproach in Ruth 2.15. The word touch in Ruth 2.9. Did you look it up in the Strongs? Yes. Maybe. (laughs) To reach, to extend. Okay. That word touch, he is telling them, don't lay hands on her in any way. Don't touch her. Don't extend your hand. Don't do anything to touch this woman. And the implication is, if you check it out, means not to lie with a woman, L-I-E. Now, we all know what that means, I hope. He is telling these young men, this woman is to stay pure. I don't want you to touch her in any way. And above all, I don't want her to have sex with you. I don't want you to rape my Ruth. Now in Ruth 2.15, Boaz tells them not to reproach her, the young men. Don't reproach her. And he was telling them, I don't want her to do you to do anything to cause her to be ashamed. 
I don't want you to do anything to cause her to blush. I don't want you to do anything to cause her to be confused. What's he telling him? Don't you touch her. Don't you even think about lying with her. And I don't want you to do anything that would make her ashamed or make her blush. So in today's culture, you know, that would be, don't you say anything, I don't want to hear anything out of your mouth that might possibly cause her to feel ashamed. Now, in Ruth 2.21, something interesting happens because, let's read it, in Ruth 2.21, and Ruth the Moabitess said, now she's talking to Naomi, he said unto me also, thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended harvest. Is that what Boaz told Ruth? Is it? Let's go back and read it again. Go back to Ruth, chapter 2, or chap, yes, chapter 2, verse 8. Then Boaz said unto Ruth, Hearest not, my daughter, are you listening? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here, fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap. Have I not charged the young men they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. What is he telling her? Stay, Stay. Stay in the field with who? With the, with the maidens. I don't hear him telling her that she can uh, go into the field and be with the young men. But in, in Ruth 2.21, Ruth said to Naomi, Thou shalt keep fast by my young men. Is that the words of Boaz? No. The words of Boaz is, Hearest not, my daughter? Are you listening? Go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide fast by my young maidens. And when Ruth goes in to see Naomi, she's telling Naomi that Boaz said, keep fast by the young men. Guess what the virtuous woman just did? She lied. I had to read that 50 times, you guys. The first time I was going through this, the second time even, you know, you read this and you go, wait a minute. That's not what Boaz said. She lied to Naomi. Why? Well, my guess is she was tempted to go into another field. And she was tempted to go into where those young men were. And she was tempted when she saw those young men working off in the field. She wanted to be there with them. Well, if she had done that, if she had done that, she would have betrayed her Redeemer. The Word of God is what gives discernment of sin, right? Right? 
in John 15, 3, what's it say? Now you are clean through the word that I have spoken unto you. Had Ruth heard the words of Boaz, her redeemer? Yep, very clear. He says it right there in Ruth chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. And then she goes into Naomi and she lies. Because she was tempted to go where those young men were. Well, in Ruth 2.21, Naomi brings her back to reality. Uh, excuse me, 2.22, Ruth 2.22. Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. What did Naomi just do? She just emphasized the words of who? Boaz. She said to this young lady, she says, no, Ruth, it's better. It's better if you stay, if you stay with the maidens. She didn't tell her not to do it. She just told her what to do, right? And she said, um, and it's better if, if, they, these young men don't meet you in any other field. Do you know that's what the Holy Spirit does for us? God says in his word, do this. Whatever it is in your life. And you go, oh, but Lord. But Lord, <laughs> you know. And you go, I don't want to do that. I want to do this. And what does the Holy Spirit do? He reminds us of the words of our Redeemer. If you go to John chapter 14 and verse 26, John 14, 26, the Bible says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. He is going to remind us of what Jesus has said in John chapter 16, verse 8, talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will reprove or convict or convince the world of sin and righteousness and of judgment. You get the picture? Boaz says, don't go into the field with the young men. Her heart wanted to. Because when she got into where Naomi was, she lied. And she says, Boaz told me to do this. Doesn't it take you back to the Garden of Eden? Yes. <laughs> Yea, hath God said? Isn't that the first thing the serpent said to Eve? Yea, hath God. Did Boaz really say that? I can't believe he really said that. He didn't really mean for you to stay away from those young men. He really meant for you to do whatever you want to do. You know? And when she got back with Naomi, she lied. And so what Naomi did, she goes, wait a minute. No, you need to listen to Boaz because what he's telling you is right. And you need to do what your Redeemer said. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Satan comes along, whispers in her ear, and he goes, hmm, maybe you should do this, or maybe you should do this, or don't listen to what the pastor says, or forget the book. You're okay. And the Holy Spirit of God reminds us 
of those things that Jesus has said. But here's the thing. When Ruth was reminded by Naomi, in verse 22 of Ruth chapter 2, excuse me, verse 23 of Ruth chapter 2, what did she do? It says, so she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest and dwell with her mother-in-law. And that word dwell means abide. So Ruth had a choice. She could do what she wanted to do or she could listen to her Redeemer. She could listen to Naomi. What's the choice? And she chose to listen to the words of Boaz and to the reminder that Naomi gave her. And she stayed fast by the young maidens. But where did her heart want to go? It wanted to be with those young men. But she obeyed the words of her Redeemer. Ever heard the saying, there's safety in numbers? <laughs> well, there is. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven fourteen, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. And you go, oh, well, if, and if I have a decision to make, I need to ask this person and this person and this person and this person and I need to get oh maybe 10 or 15 different opinions and I'll be good that's exactly what you'll get you'll get 10 or 15 opinions and they'll probably all be different when the Bible speaks of their safe being safety in a multitude of counselors think of Genesis through Revelation because you've got 66 and those 66 counselors will tell us exactly what to do with whatever the issue is in our life. We need to know the counsel well enough so that we can be reminded of the words of our Redeemer. That's why it's so important to memorize scripture. That's why it's so important to read and study the Bible. That's why it's so important to hide the word of God in your heart that we might not sin against God. Because if you've got it there, what will the Holy Spirit do? He'll remind you of what you know. Guess what? <laughs> Ruth's in love. She is. Because don't you know it was kind of a shocking thing when Naomi goes, it's like taking hold of you and going, you know, <laughs> no, <laughs> stay in his field. Oh, yeah. I love the man. I love my Redeemer. I love Boaz. Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37. Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Was Satan playing games with Ruth's mind? Huh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Was Romans chapter 7 happening? What Paul said would happen about the battlefield being the mind? Uh-huh, it sure was. 
but because she loved her Redeemer and because Naomi reminded her, I'll do what he says. Now in Ruth 2.23, oh, well, you just went through, <laughs> through all this. <laughs> In Ruth chapter 2, verse 23, when she shows obedience and did what was right. In Ruth 3.10, Boaz commends her. Right? Because he said, Blessed be thou the Lord my daughter. For thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, inasmuch thou followest not young men whether poor or rich, what did Boaz just say to her? You did good. You did awesome. Bless you, Ruth, for obeying me and doing what I said. And because of that, you, Ruth, showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. And I, as I was thinking on that, more kindness at the latter end than at the beginning. What did Ruth do in the beginning of this book? She left Moab. She left idol worship. She went with Naomi. She loved her so much. She went with Naomi to the land of Bethlehem because she had heard that... Um, um, there was bread in Bethlehem. We've studied all that. The bread is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Boaz said, you know what, Ruth? This has blessed me even more than at the beginning when you chose to come here, that you would obey me and follow my words. And you've shown more kindness now than you even did at the beginning with Naomi. You virtuous woman, you. <laughs> and that word kindness in Ruth 3.10, it simply means to bow the neck in courtesy, to show yourself merciful, to have pity. I don't know if you've ever thought that she would actually be showing kindness to someone because you didn't yield to temptation. That doesn't always go through our heads, does it? Because when you're being tempted, what do you want to do? I just want what I want. Right? Right now, I want what I want. And Satan tempts you with it, and you go, man, it looks good. No, it doesn't agree with the Bible, but oh, well, it'll be okay. You know, you, ra you rationalize it. We rationalize sin. But not to yield to temptation. When you give into it, it's like throwing a rock in a pond. And you go, well, this isn't going to hurt anybody. This is just for me. Well, when there's sin in our lives, 
It starts as one little circle in the pond. But if you throw a rock into a pond, this is what happens. Have you ever done that? (laughs) We've all done that. See the ripples that come out? Right at the beginning, there's just one. But as that rock hits the water, the ripples get bigger and bigger, and the circle gets bigger. And that one little circle goes on and on and on. Ladies and gentlemen, there is consequence to sin. I don't care. Sin never just affects one person. You go, it's all about me and it's just going to be my... No. Whatever it is, it'll always hurt the ones you love the most. That's a biblical truth and it's found in Psalms 55 uh, verses 12 through 14. I want to read it. Psalm 55 verses 12 through 14. It was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was thou, it was you. A man, mine equal, my guide, mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. That's who it's going to affect. The sin in our lives, it will affect the person who discipled you. It will affect your family, your husband, your wife, your children. And then it'll ripple on down to the rest of the family. And then it's going to affect your local church. And you go, oh, what I do doesn't affect the church. Yes, it does. Because it will affect ministry that you might be involved in. It will take you out of whatever God has planned for you. And the ripples go on. It will eventually affect your job where you work. It will affect the co-workers that you meet with. Sin doesn't just affect you. The Bible says the virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. But she that maketh a shame is as rottenness in his bones. It affects Jesus too. He hates it and it hurts him. Well then, let's move on because what about these young men? Because there was one thing she was told she could do with these young men. In the book of Ruth, she is told in verse 9, Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, meaning the maidens, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? 
Well, when you read the Bible, you find out there are two types of young men mentioned specifically. There are those who are rich young men. Let's look at those first. Because the ones who are spoken of in the Bible who are rich, there's two characteristics about them that I noticed. One is they are honorable, and the second, they are noble. So there are some young men spoken of in the word of God that are awesome young men. In fact, in Exodus 28, verse 1, Nadab, Abihu, and Eleazar, three young men who were sons of the high priest. And if you read the book of Exodus, you find out what those young men were supposed to do was to serve in the tabernacle with their dad. They had certain responsibilities to serve with their father, who was the high priest. In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. You see, these young men who had a father who was a high priest, you get the picture? Jesus is our high priest. He died for our sin. He rose again and he took his blood to the third heaven, presented it to the Father, and God said, whosoever will may come now because of you, Jesus. And these young men were sons of that high priest. In John chapter 1 and verse 12, it is very clear, but as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Guess what? We are sons and daughters of a high priest who dwells in the third heaven and is coming again. Yes, we are. These young men were honorable. They were noble young men. They are washed with water. Read Exodus 29.1. Guess what those young men did before they went to serve in the tabernacle? They washed in a laver. They washed their flesh to serve in the presence of God. According to Ephesians 5.26, we are clean through the washing of the water by the word. Pictures of young men who are noble, who are sons of God, and who are clean through the word of God. Then, according to 1 John 2, 13 and 14, these young men overcame the wicked one. This is awesome. Look at 1 John chapter 2. We need to read it. 1 John chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. Now, who's from the beginning? It's the Lord, right? In the beginning was 
the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, 1 John 1, 1. All right. So, now I lost my place. I've written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that was from the beginning. I've written unto you, here comes, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. That's the kinds of sons we want, women and gentlemen. We want sons who are young men, who are strong, who abides in the word, and the word abides in them. And the young men who have overcome the wicked one. Satan has tried to take them, and they are overcomers. Those are our sons we want. Those are the young men who is the next generation that we want to serve Jesus. So they are strong. They are overcomers. And the word of God abides in them. These are rich young men who are honorable and noble. But there are young men who are poor young men. <laughs> and in Isaiah forty-one seventeen, it describes the poor. Isaiah forty-one seventeen, it actually defines the poor. Isaiah 41, 17. I want to read it. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. When the poor and needy seek water, who are the poor? Who are the needy? They need water. They need water. Mm -hmm. Some of these poor young men are described in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17. You can get a glimpse of what they're like. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17... The sons of Eli were sons of Belial. Here you go. They knew not the Lord. That word Belial, if you check it out, you will find out it is the devil himself. They were sons of Beelzebub. They were sons of Satan. They were evil young men. They knew not the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook and of three teeth in his hand. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took for himself. So they did in Shiloh until all the Israelites that came, hither, came thither. 
Also, before they burnt the fat, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if any man said unto him, Let not fail to burn the fat presently, and then take as much as thy soul desireth, then he would answer him, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now, and if not, I will take it by force. Wherefore the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord. For men abhorred the offering of the Lord. We don't have time to go into all that that's happening under the law. But the point is, these young men were serving in the tabernacle and they were sinning against God with the offering that was being brought before the Lord. And because of that, it says the sin of the young men was very great and God hated that offering. So you kind of get the picture that these poor young men are unsaved is what we call it today they don't know they don't know Jesus they've never been to the well in John chapter 4 where God said take of the water and drink of it freely they've never seen John chapter 7 and understand that water is the Holy Spirit they don't get it that they need to be born again Well, in 1 Corinthians 6, 14 through 15, the Bible is very clear about these poor young men in 1 Corinthians 6 because the Bible tells us as women, if you're a man, it tells you what to do about being yoked together with a young woman that's not born again. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse 14 and 15. Do I have that right? No, I do not. <sighs> Let me look. I'm sorry. It's 2 Corinthians 6, 14. I've got a typo on the screen. It should be 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? There's that word again. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So you begin to see that these poor young men, what should happen then, if you know Christ as your Savior, what should you do? Don't marry them. Don't even date them. Stay away from them. Because God says, don't be yoked together with them. Because you're trying to yoke righteousness and unrighteousness together. You're trying to make light and darkness the same. You're trying to put Christ in the same path in your life as Satan. And you as a believer in Christ are hanging out with an infidel. And it could end in marriage. If you're a young woman or a young man and you're dating someone and you go, well, they're a really good person. Well, we could talk about that. 
That's not the point. The point is, Boaz is instructing Ruth on what to do and what not to do. Are we going to obey the word or not? That's the quest. That's the point. I'm sure they could be very nice. I'm sure it could be fun to date somebody that's lost. But in the end, it will be disastrous because of disobedience to what the Bible teaches. Well, was Ruth faithful to her Redeemer? Did she betray the relationship? Well, no, she did not. Because Proverbs 31, 11 through 12 says, The heart of her husband does safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. That's the virtuous woman, right? That's speaking about who we're studying, the church. Us, if we know Christ as Savior. And what's the heart of God doing? This just blows my mind. He trusts us. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her that she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. What's God doing? He's trusting us to do what's right. I think that is awesome. You know, and some people go, oh, well, God is just sitting there with a hammer ready to hit you over the head if you do something wrong. No. God is in his temple trusting his church. And Ruth didn't seek after the lost in an evil way. She didn't go after the young men of noble birth, the redeemed. She was faithful to her redeemer. You go, well, it would have been okay if she'd have gone on after the young men. No, he didn't tell her that, did he? Did he say, okay, stay away from the ones who are poor and it's okay to hang out with the ones that are rich? Is that what he said? No. no. He said, stay away from the young men. However, if you go back to Ruth, verse 2 and verse 9. There was something she could do. There were two things. She could pay, partake of two things from these young men. The first thing Boaz allowed Ruth to partake of from the hands of the young men is in Ruth 2.9. Oh. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go, go thou after them, meaning the maidens. Have I not charged the young men? They shall not touch thee. All right, so she's in the field. Boaz told the young men to stay away from her. But what is she allowed to partake of at the hands of these young men as they are in the field? Nope. She can bring the grain. The grain. Now I see what you're saying because the next thing is says she can partake of the water. But 
They're in the field. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, the maidens. The field. What are they doing in the field? They're reaping grain. And go after them. And he says, I've told these young men in the field to stay away from you. And not to touch thee. But was she allowed to partake of the grain in the field where these young men were harvesting grain and where the maidens were gathering it? Yes. Well, if she was allowed to partake of the grain, what was the next thing she was allowed to partake of? She was allowed to partake of the drink of the water that the young men had drawn. So she could be in the field, keep her distance, but she was allowed to partake of the grain. She could be in the field, stay at a distance, you know, work with the maidens, but she could also partake of the water from Bethlehem. Okay, think it through. The grain. In Ruth 2, verse 15, let's read it, and 16, and 17. <laughs> Ruth 2, 15 through 17. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz, Boaz commanded the young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and reproach her not. Who's he speaking to? The young men. What's he telling them? She's going to partake of this grain that's in the sheaves, meaning that which has already been gathered and bundled and everything. She can have whatever she wants. You just leave her alone. She can have that. And in verse 16, he says, Let fall so fall some handfuls of purpose for her and leave them that she may glean them and rebuke her not. What's he telling the young men? Leave her some grain. When you guys go to gather this, and you get ready to bundle it up, you just accidentally do this, <laughs> you know, and you leave some grain for Ruth. Then it says, so she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. So what's he telling the young men? She's coming, she's in the field. Ruth, you stay with the maidens. Guys, you stay away from Ruth, Right? And guys, while you're gleaning, let some grain fall for her on purpose. Think about it. In John 12, 24, remember what Jesus said? He said that his death was like a grain of corn, grain of corn planted in the ground. And I mentioned to you one time before that that corn was not corn on the cob. It was barley or wheat. What's Boaz teaching Ruth? You can partake of all the grain you want. Because someday there's coming a redeemer who's gonna, whose body is going to be put in the ground like the barley you're gathering, Ruth. And it's going to stay there. But on the third day, that Redeemer is coming out of the tomb, alive forevermore, 
And young men, you be sure you leave some extra for the virtuous woman. Then there was water from Bethlehem. She could go to those wells, and he told those young men, uh, uh, have I not charged the young men they should touch thee? And when thou art thirst, go unto the vessels and drink, which the young men have drawn. Ruth, if you're thirsty, you can go to, to, the, to the wells, you can go to the vessels that the young men have drawn, and you can have that water. And the young men drew it for her. And it would have come from a well in Bethlehem. Guess who came out of Bethlehem? In Luke 2.11 and John 4.14, there is a Savior who was born in Bethlehem who is the water of Ephesians chapter 5 who keeps us clean through the washing of the water by the Word, the Holy Spirit. I mean, do you get the picture? And these young men, Boaz said to these young men, Ruth, it's okay to partake of that water those young men have drawn. There are some young men who are godly young men that teach and preach the word of God. And what are we supposed to do? When they offer that, what are we supposed to do? Eat the grain and take a drink of the water. It's okay. And sometimes I have heard with my own ears, <laughs> older people say, oh, he's just a young whippersnapper. He doesn't know nothing about the Bible. What's he up there doing preaching? That is so wrong. That is evil and that is sin. Because the young men who are of noble birth have every right to speak the word of God, Amen. to teach, to preach, to give out the bread and, and the water. And you know what we need to be doing? We need to be listening. Because it's coming from the Redeemer. And he, it's right here, virtuous woman. Church, listen to what they say. They can give you water and they can give you bread. They can give you grain. Well, I think we're on question 20. I haven't been following along. What was Ruth supposed to do with the best of the gleanings? Huh? She took it back to Naomi. In Ruth chapter 2, let's see, verse 18. Well, let's start with verse 17. She, meaning Ruth, gleaned in the field until even, beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Now, what city is she going to? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And her mother-in-law, who is Naomi, Naomi <laughs> saw what she had gleaned. And she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. All right. 
We're going to see. Ruth eats. She was sufficed. And then what she do with the rest of it? She gave it to Naomi. Now what's she giving her? Well, no, just literally. What is she giving her? She's giving her grain, right? She's giving her what she's picked out of the field that the Redeemer allowed her to have. And, and, and she, in verse 14, she ate. Boaz fed Ruth. Ruth gleaned in Boaz's field. Then Boaz fed Ruth. And then Ruth took what was left and gave it to Naomi. Do you get that? Okay. Think about it. Who gives us the word? God did. Right? The word in the beginning was the word. It was from God. It was God. It was from God. It's Jesus Christ, the living. And now we have the written word. Okay, so here she is in the field, and Boaz said at mealtime, Come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip the morsel in the vinegar. We studied that, didn't we? Yeah. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat and was sufficed and left. Do you understand? God has given us this book. And then he says, read it, study it, memorize it, 2 Timothy 2.15. And then after you have it hidden in your heart, according to Psalm 119.11, what's the next thing you do with it? Share it with who? You'd think so, wouldn't you? That's not what this teaches. No? Well, she gave it to Naomi. You bring it back to God. Because when you study these scriptures, who has Naomi been a picture of for us when... Ruth would go to Boaz and then she would take it back to Naomi. We just talked about it at the very beginning of this lesson. Who is she a type of? The Holy Spirit. Uh So here she is. Boaz has a field. And he says, take of all you want. Take the grain. Take the water. Take it freely. She did. And then after all of that, uh, he said, at mealtime, Ruth, come here. <laughs> come hither. Let's eat. And it says very clearly, he told her to eat of the bread and the parched corn. And when she got done, she was sufficed. She was satisfied. And then in verse 18, she took it up the grain. She went back to Bethlehem and her mother and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. Naomi was paying attention and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. I'm telling you what. Our ministry, our first ministry is to God. And if you read in the book of Exodus, 
uh, about this high priest. In verse 3, when the Lord is talking to Aaron and his sons and about the garments, thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. Thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. And here's why, that he may minister to me in the priest's office. Guess who the ministry was to first in the high priest's office in the tabernacle in the wilderness. It was not to the people. It was to God. That same principle applies in Acts chapter 13, I think. Let me look. Yes. When they were getting ready to send out um, Barnabas and Saul as missionaries, it says there was in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. And I list them. Barnabas, Simeon, that was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, and Menaean, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And you go, oh, well, they're getting ready to send out Paul and, Paul and um, Barnabas. Barnabas. Let's take a vote, guys. <laughs> no, next verse. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me out, Barnabas and Saul. Who is our ministry to next? After we are fed, it's to the Lord. I go, well, I've read Proverbs 31, and this woman ministers to her household. Yes, she does. And Ruth took it back to her household, back to Naomi. But when you consider the order of how this grain was given to her, it was to Boaz. Then Ruth fed herself. And then she took it to Naomi. And that's exactly the order that is given in the word of God for us. Go to Jesus. Read the word. Minister to you. And then you give it to someone else. Because you cannot give out grain if you've not been to the barn first. I put up here the best we have is for the Lord. And it's what he has already given us. And I think sometimes we try to figure out what we can do to please God. Oh, I've got to think of something. <laughs> I just want to please him. All right, read the Bible. Get it in your heart and then give it out. It's not rocket science. Now, go on to the next one. Kindness, it says in Ruth 2.20, when Ruth returns with the grain, Naomi speaks of the Lord not withholding his kindness from the living and the dead, right? Yes? 
Yes. Well, we know who the living are, and we know who the dead are. We're going to look at it. But let's look at what kindness defined biblically is not. And, you know, sometimes when we think of kindness, and our tr this church does it, and it's awesome, and it should be done, and it should be what's in our lives on a daily basis, being kind to one another. The Bible says that. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. But let me tell you what kindness biblically is not. It's not teddy bears with big red bows around their necks. <laughs> One time when I was teaching the fruit of the spirit, this sweetheart of a woman had gone through the study on gentleness and we were working on it. And to the best of her ability, she wanted me to have something in my that I could visibly touch. She goes, this is kindness to me. This is gentleness. And she handed me a teddy bear with a big red bow on its neck. <laughs> it's not that. <coughs> I said, thank you, by the way. And I said, bless you. I said, stick with me on this. Get your nose in the Bible. And we'll do gentleness. And I took the bear and I love it to this day. But it's not that. It's not just a sweet breeze in the summertime. It's not just someone gentle touch to you. It's not softness. It's not raindrops. It's not any of that biblically. Okay? We're talking Bible here. It is kindness shown to the living and the dead according to Ruth 2.20. Well, I was looking in Isaiah. Isaiah 2.20 is not right. <laughs> Let's look at Ruth 2.20. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be the Lord who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin to us, one of our next kinsmen. And guess what he has done? He has shown kindness to the living and to the dead. Now, what was Naomi thinking about? Who are the living that Boaz showed kindness to? Her and Ruth. Who were the dead he has shown kindness to? Her husband and her sons, right? Because what did he do? Well, he, he took Elimelech's wife and Kylion and Malon's uh, no, Kylion's wife, and he brought them into his own household, right? And he made them part of his household. He showed them kindness. He's feeding them. He's giving them water. He's given them a place to stay. Well, according to Ephesians 2.1, Let's look at it. Ephesians 2.1. The Bible says, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Guess what we were before Jesus found us? We were dead in sin, according to that verse. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. 
the Bible says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. When he found us, we were dead in sin. We had no hope. But when Christ found us and we received him as Savior, it says, Reckon yourself now dead to sin, but alive to who? God. We're living because we have eternal everlasting life abiding in us. Jesus in us. Okay? Kindness to the living and to the dead. You hath he quickened. Psalms 107 verse 10. Let's look at that. Such as sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, being bound in affliction and iron. We were dead in trespasses and sins. And what did Jesus do? According to this, we were in danger of the shadow of death. I think we read that out of Exodus chapter 12, did we not? Who has, who, who is the one I don't know the word to say. Who creates or makes the shadow of death? Who is it? Who was it in Exodus 12? Go back to Exodus 12. We got to look at it. Remember? The Lord put a plague on Pharaoh and he said the last plague was the death of the firstborn in the household. Remember? And the Lord said in verse 22 of Exodus 12, he told the Israelites, go in your house, shut the door, and put the blood on the, on the lentil, on the top of the door and on the posts. Right? Right. right. And then he said, you stay in there until the morning light. Don't you dare come out. Because in verse 23, the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and on the two, board, two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your houses and smite you. Remember? The shadows that passed over Israel that night there was Jesus who was the light and then there was the destroyer who was the shadow of death. And in Psalms 107, such as sit in darkness, those who are lost that have no light, and in the shadow of death, what are they sitting in? They're sitting in the shadow of the destroyer being bound in affliction and iron. These people, it says there was kindness from this Ruth for the living and for the dead. All right, so who are the living? Biblically, who are the living? The born-again believer. Who are the dead? The lost, those who don't know Christ. Those who are sitting in the shadow of death. Those who need the light. And, and Naomi makes the statement, Blessed be he of the Lord who hath not left off his kindness 
to the living or the dead. She's talking about herself and Ruth who are alive. She's talking about her husband and her sons who are dead. Right. Get that. And Boaz, by Jewish custom, purchased Ruth to be his wife. And it meant provision for Naomi. It meant provision for Ruth. It meant the name of her dead son would be carried on as heirs of Boaz for Naomi. But the spiritual truth for us is thank God he didn't leave off kindness for the living or the dead. Because if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are alive forevermore. And you have experienced, you know the kindness of God. And if you are dead in your sin and trespasses, I got good news. God hasn't withheld that kindness from you either. It's for those people who have never received Christ and are sitting today lost and on their way to hell and in the shadow of the destroyer. God made a promise to those people in 1 John 2.25 and this is the promise he has promised us even eternal life. 1 John 2.25 and he suffers long waiting for men to repent of their sin and accept the provision for their soul through the shed blood of his son. So the kindness of the Lord to those people who are dead in their sin is deliverance, it's satisfaction, and it's freedom. Who is kindness? That is the next thing. Oh, who? How do you know that? You're exactly right. It's in the Bible. Let's look at it. In Psalm, it starts in, John, in Psalm 26.3. The, uh, the Bible says, For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. The first time I read that verse, I go, hmm, that's weird. Because it says that loving kindness is before my eyes. <laughs> Did David see the loving kindness of God? Yes. Where was the loving kindness of, of God? It was before his eyes. He saw it, right? I mean, if something is before your eyes, what are you doing? You're looking at it. And I thought, wait a minute. If that's true, and it is, David saw it, then what does loving kindness look like? Because we don't think of that as a thing you can see we think of it sometimes as an action you can perform or something you can feel in your heart but apparently loving kindness was visible to David in first John chapter 1 and verse 1 John saw the same thing first John 1 1 that which was from the beginning. Now you've got to think through this. That which was from the beginning. What was from the beginning? It's Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God. Right? So that which was from the beginning, meaning God, which we have heard, we've heard his word, 
Now here's the next one, which we have seen with our eyes. Who did they see? Jesus. Jesus. Which we have looked upon. We've seen him. And our hands have handled of the word of life. Well, David said, thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. I've seen it, God. And you wait for 1 John 1, 1. And we know what David saw was that which was from the beginning. What he saw with his eyes was the word of life. So if kindness then is Jesus, if it's the word of life, if loving kindness is what David saw, if it's what John saw when he saw Christ, what is it that God has not withheld from us? He's not with, he has not withheld his son. He's not withheld his Holy Spirit. He has not withheld his kindness and the Lord reminds us his kindness is also for the living which was in Ruth 2.20 so when you think about it we see what the loving kindness of God does for us when we receive Christ. His loving kindness delivers us from trouble and anguish that we sometimes suffer in life and it makes us a calm. That's his kindness. When we go through trials, and we just feel like we are at the our wits end. We've had it. He brings us out of our trouble. And he does it over and over and over again for us. His compassions fail not. They're new every morning. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. And it's because he's kind. Because he's gentle she opened her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is the law of kindness how does all of this apply then to the virtuous woman who is kindness it's Jesus. You see, we don't get this. And it's because we're human. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> but when we think of things of the fruit of the Spirit, like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, we think of what we can feel in our hearts. And... If I can feel it, then maybe I can manifest it, right? If I can just feel the love of God, then I can love people. If I can just feel the joy of God, I can be joyful. 
If I can just feel the peace of God, man, I'm calm as a cucumber, you know, and, and on and on. What we don't get is that love is God, 1 John 4, 8. Joy is Jesus Christ, Jeremiah 33, 8 and 9. Peace is the Holy Spirit, John 14, 26. Long-suffering <laughs> is God, according to 1 Peter. Gentleness is, is a picture of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit that he left for us, according to Psalm, I think it's 146. What's the next? Goodness. There is none good but God. He is goodness. You see, we try to emulate what we feel, and God says, you can do none of this because it's who I am. And when I put my spirit within you, I put in you who I am. And so if you want to understand kindness and you want this law of kindness in your tongue, it's going to depend on the relationship you have with kindness, who is Jesus. And this virtuous woman, she opens her mouth with wisdom and in her tongue is this law of kindness. We're going to stop. We'll pick up here next time. Let me say, um, next week is July 4th. So we will not have Bible study. And the following week is July 11th, which is church camp. So we will not have Bible study. <clears throat>